As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. I always say change is inevitable. You have to embrace change. It's the only thing in life you can be sure of is change. So you might as well embrace it. And we've just learned to embrace it. It's that time of year again, tax season. How are you doing on tax season? How's that treating you so far? Well, if you have a lot of receipts and you're organizing things like your income and expenses and creating reports, and you're also trying to keep up to date with the new tax reform this year, there's a lot of deductions that we can take to maximize return, and there's a lot of strategies that we need to make sure we're aware of. Are you optimizing for the new tax laws? Well, our sponsor, Stessa, teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you the ultimate rental property tax guide. And I've read it. This is the ultimate rental property tax guide. I'm talking about they've got everything covered from opportunity zones to entity selection to establishing a home office, travel expenses, what type of travel expenses are deductible, real estate strategies, tax strategies, capital improvements versus repairs. I mean... This is the ultimate rental property tax guide, and you can get it for free by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. You have to sign up for an account, but the account is free. So when you sign up for a free Stessa account, you will get this guide. This is worth its weight in gold for sure. Go to stessa.com, S-T-E-S-S-A.com forward slash best taxes. And when you work with Stessa, Stessa is a tool that helps every rental property owner track, manage, and communicate the performance of our real estate investment. So it's going to save a lot of time during tax season, but then also through the rest of the season as we go and grow our rental portfolio and optimize that. So go to stessa.com forward slash best taxes get that ultimate rental property tax guide best ever listeners how you doing welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show i'm joe fairless this is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast we only talk about the best advice ever we don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today jack miller how you doing jack i'm doing excellent joe how are you doing well i'm doing excellent too i like that and, and looking forward to our conversation jack is the president and founder of gelt financial corporation since founding Gelt, he's made over 10,000 loans in excess of $1 billion, B billion dollars, based in Boca Raton, Florida. And you can learn more about his company on his website, which is in the show notes. So you can just click that. So that being said, Jack, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? 
Sure. I started in the commercial real estate lending business many, many years ago. I'm 56. I started when I was about 17 or 18. I started when rates were in the teens. I've experienced all sorts of markets. We lived through the last recession, depression, whatever you want to call it. And with that comes a lot of gray hair, some uh, broken bones and bruised ribs and uh, some embarrassments along the way. But uh, we're survivors here. And as you said, we've done well over 10,000 loans and well over a billion dollars in business through literally decades now. We're well over 30 years old. Mm-hmm. And we love the business. We're very lucky. We have a very committed team who really enjoy what we do. So it makes every day a pleasure. We get to help people throughout the country. Everyone's fairly new. No one lived through the last recession, uh, 2006, 2011. I said, you're right. You could say we've been in business 30, almost 40 years. We've been doing deals. But the truth is we've had to reinvent ourselves at each mm-hmm. cycle. To the best sure. of your knowledge and memory, can you take us through each of the cycles and what you had to do within that cycle to reinvent yourself? Sure. So in the beginning, I started, as I said, in my late teens, early 20s, and rates were high. Rates were 15, 16%, and they dropped to 13, 12. You just had to be alive and show up to work because the rates were dropping so quick, it was pretty easy. The first real cycle or downturn happened to me, at least in 1989. And what happened was called long-term capital. And there was an effect in the Russian economy. Reagan was president. And all of a sudden, the secondary market dried up. At the same time, a lot of the governmental policies put in place by, believe it or not, going back to Jimmy Carter, came to roost with affordable lending. Back in the day, the government was putting unbelievable pressure on lenders to lend money to people who frankly couldn't afford it. And if you didn't do it, they called you discriminatory. And at that point, we chose to get out of the residential owner-occupied business. So we went from five offices, this is way before computers and internet. We went from five offices, about 55 people, to one office and about seven people within a 24-hour period. And then we just had to reinvent ourselves. We had to ride out the wave. But the big one was the 2008 to 2011 crash, which was a global economic meltdown. We had found that the whole market had collapsed and everyone knew that real estate was a little overvalued and everyone was expecting 10, 20% drop. But the government got involved and due to a lot of regulatory issues, they called everyone's loans. So we had to totally reinvent ourselves at that point as a company. And uh, frankly, it took us a long time to do it. It probably took us 10 years to do it. And it was painful. I don't want to tell you it was fun. It wasn't fun. A lot of nights proverbially crying on the sofa and feeling sorry for yourself. But you have to start from scratch. And we did in terms of how we approach things. At the same time, technology was changing very rapidly. Where back in the day, I remember when fax machines came out and I'm dating myself, that was huge. But with the internet, everything's changed. We do business now all over the country by one location, 24-7. Everyone operates on the internet now, including us. I always say change is inevitable. You have to embrace change. It's the only thing in life you can be sure of is change. So you might as well embrace it. And we've just learned to embrace it. You mentioned you had to reinvent yourself. It took like 10 years for the 2007 stuff. What specifically did you do to change how you were approaching things? At the time, prior to the crash, we were one of the largest 
if not the largest non-bank lender in the Philadelphia Mid-Atlantic region, which means people who weren't going to banks were coming to us. We were one of the originators of the fix and flip program. And we were largely funded by banks. So we would borrow money from banks and lend it out. And what happened was at the direction of the federal government, all of our banks, and we were performing, called all of our loans at once. So all of a sudden you get letters from banks and say, hey, I won $10 million in seven days or I'm going to throw you out the window. I won $8 million. I won $6 million. They all called our loans. So we went from a high volume shop borrowing money from banks to currently we do not deal with banks at all. We refuse to deal with them. In fact, most of the work we do is very sadly, banks are calling perfectly paying loans. And we've gone from an environment where underwriting decisions were made at the bank level and at a regional level. Now, almost every underwriting decision throughout the country is made at the governmental level. So we now focus on, we do a lot of loans who are paying their banks perfect, but for different reasons, the banks either are calling the loans, refusing to lend them money, not renewing their balloons or putting them in default. Hmm. But instead of being funded by banks, we're funded by equity. So it gives us a lot more latitude. And frankly, we don't have to put ourselves at risk of the tides of the government. So you have investors who invest with you, and then you then lend that money out to qualified applicants at a certain rate, and you get the spread. That's correct. Family offices, very high net worth individuals. That's correct. Do you have a clause with them where you won't be in a situation where Armageddon happens again in the economy and they want to do what the banks did to you, but because there's this clause in the contract, they can't do that where you can't get $10 million pay up in 10 days? Yes, we do. And by the way, we had it in there with the banks as well. But when the economy collapsed, a lot of people forget what it was like during those years. It it was literally bedlam. So even though we had those clauses in our contracts with banks, frankly, the banks didn't care and the government didn't care. So when it's the Wild West, as it was during those times, all bets are off. It almost doesn't matter what you have in the contracts. But to answer your question, absolutely we do. What type of deals do you work on? Tell us some of the ranges of types of stuff you work on. Sure. I'll give you examples of some deals we've recently closed. We recently closed, I think last week or two weeks ago, a family owned, I think, four or five gas stations in New Jersey, paid their bills perfectly, hardworking, what I call salt of the earth, hardworking. Everyone in the family worked for the family business, paid their bills perfectly, And a major bank will not renew their loans and put them in default because they weren't verifying the correct income. They looked at their tax returns and they weren't verifying all their income through write-offs and different paying salaries, debt service coverage. So the bank had started foreclosures. We were probably a, a month away from sheriff's sale. Again, they were paying their bills perfectly and had great credit. We refinanced them. It was a great deal for us and it was a great deal for them. Hmm. Did another deal in New York, again, within the last two weeks, it was a mixed-use property, I think two stores, I think six or eight apartments. A bank had the loan. It was owned by a mother and a daughter. The mother was in her 80s. She lived in another country. They wanted to refinance it, but because the mother was living in another country, the bank wouldn't do it, put it in foreclosure. We did it. 
So that's standard for us. We take people with problems and because we're a small company, we can understand their issues and we do those deals. Conversely, we did a deal in Florida. Again, within the past few weeks, Guy found a great deal on a property, didn't have any money. We financed 100% of the property for him. I think he only came up with the appraisal money, probably two, three, four hundred dollars And we gave him 100% of the money to buy it and fix it up and he'll flip it. That's really interesting. I'd like to talk a little bit about the last three things you mentioned, the two scenarios plus that last thing, which first let's talk about the two scenarios and then maybe we can talk about some other scenarios like that. So the first scenario, I was writing notes while you're talking. I think I caught it where the issue was they weren't hitting some loan covenants based on certain debt coverage ratios. Did I hear that correctly? You heard that exactly correctly. Okay. They, were, they were paying their mortgage perfectly. And because they were in technical violation, the bank would not extend it and they put them in foreclosure. Okay. So one was they put them in foreclosure because they weren't adhering to a certain loan covenant as it relates to the debt service coverage ratio, right? Correct. Okay. And the second scenario was a different group had a performing property, but one of the owners lived out of the country so they wouldn't refi into another loan, right? That's correct. What are some other scenarios like that? And I ask because I find that really interesting so that we can talk about some other esoteric scenarios, but they might come up with some listeners down the road. And it's good to know now, hey, if I have a property where I own it with my grandpa and he lives out of the country, I might, after listening to this, double check with the bank that it's okay that when we go for a new loan, they're okay with that. So what are some other scenarios that you can think of you've come across? So in the area of technical defaults, I'll give you one. I'll divide it in two. I'll give you one technical defaults and I'll give you a new purchase. Okay. We did one in Pittsburgh, I'm going to say right before the end of the year, maybe in December. Guy owned two shopping centers, a retail centers, and an office building that were 100% stabilized. Beautiful properties, big, beautiful, nice tenants. He had another fourth unrelated property, which was in Chapter 11. The bank called his loan for a technical reason. He was in technical default and threatened to put him in foreclosure. Because he had a separate property going through bankruptcy? That's correct. Most people don't read the loan documents in any great detail. And they don't think that banks are going to call a loan in technical default. And really, prior to the last economic meltdown, they didn't. What happened in the last economic meltdown was all the rules have changed. Now you have what's called TDRs, Trouble Debt Relief Acts, and the regulators are putting unbelievable on pressure to get rid of any loans with any warts on them. So in this case, this guy had a loan of about $3.5 million, which he was paying perfectly to the bank. But the bank put him in default and said, hey, unless you pay us off, we're going to take these properties because of the governmental intervention, because of a fourth unrelated property. If you would go through the loan documents that you sign, it would scare the you-know-what out of you. So that's one where he was thrilled to come to us because he was scared to death of losing these properties, which, by the way, I think were in his family for 20 or 30 years. Mm. Did a property in Atlantic City, New Jersey. A nice young couple owned what's called a bodego. 
a little grocery store. Sure. You know, they sell lottery tickets there and the newspapers and probably some beer, who knows what. Hard-working, salt-of-the-earth people, just great people. They work their behinds off. Yep. They were renting and the opportunity came available to buy a property two doors away. They tried every bank in the area. They could not get financed because there was a cash business. They didn't verify a lot of income. A lot of the money, the down payment was not seasoned in the bank. They had large deposits. It didn't meet a bank's guidelines. And it was frankly too small for a bank. They only wanted to borrow $100,000. We looked at it. We literally approved it within an hour of us seeing it. Mm -hmm. And we closed the loan two weeks later. Now, what questions did you ask in order to approve it in that short period of time? We looked at their current business. We saw how long we were there. We looked at their credit, which was not in depth, but we saw they were paying their bills. They were in business for eight or nine years. They were putting, I think, 30 or 40% down. So you can tell very quickly when you talk to someone and you look at some preliminary documents. We did that under a no-income verification program that these guys are going to be great payers and these guys are just good people. Mm -hmm. As far as that down payment not being seasoned, why would a bank care about that? And why did you not care about that? Banks care because, again, regulatory issues. They want to make sure that it's not borrowed money, it's not ill-gained money or anything of that nature. We, on the other hand, said, look, they're paying X for the property. I think it was like 175000 And that was the market. And I think we lent them like 100000 We look at it and said, you know what? In a lot of communities, it's commonplace to borrow money or to have family chip in and support one another by making, whether they be loans or gifts to each other. So we looked at it and say, this is an incredibly safe loan. And I have news for you. Again, we've done tens of thousands of these loans, but this particular type of loan where they're probably getting the money from what we call chipping in from the family to help them, it's commonplace. And these loans almost never go bad. Never. Now let's talk about the third thing you mentioned initially, and that is 100% loan, right? What Will you go over that again? Sure. And by the way, I'm telling you about one guy, which happened to be in Carl Gables, Florida, but we've done this thousands of times and we actively look for this. So this is just one guy. Guy approaches us and it turns out he knew of a property he could buy cheap. It's a long story, but his mother was friends with the lady who used to live there who passed away and a whole big story but he thought he could buy well below replacement value and market value. He actually was a prison guard and he thought he could fix it up for X dollars, but he didn't have any money. We looked at it and said, it is a good deal. And whether he can fix it up or we have to use a contractor to fix it up, either way, it's a fantastic deal. So we financed the purchase price, the closing cost, and the repair money for him. Why do you actively look for deals like that? Oh, we love those deals. First of all, it's a feel-good loan. When someone comes to us with the idea to make money by using their hard work and their ingenuity and, and their sweat and their toil, we just love those deals when someone says, hey, here's an opportunity, here's the vision, help me get there. And look, we make money off it too. We're certainly a for-profit and we make a good amount of money off those. But we find those very satisfying to do. Usually they work out very well. I'm not saying there's always cost overruns and what you think is going to take 90 days always takes double the amount of time. 
but we love that product, buying something below the market, fixing it up, and either reselling it or renting it. We're always looking for those deals. Based on your experience in the industry, what's your best advice ever for real estate investors? Get rich slow. Most people want to get rich quick. Most people are looking to be extremely aggressive. And I tell people, get rich slow. The people who want to get rich quick, usually at the end of the day, they lose everything. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. I'm excited. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Stessa is the essential tool for tracking your rental properties, and it's going to save you a tremendous amount of time during tax season. Stessa organizes all of your rental property financials and automatically creates all the reports you need to file your tax return. And Stessa teamed up with the top real estate CPAs to offer you, best ever listeners, the ultimate rental property tax guide to help you maximize your deductions. Get that copy when you sign up for an account that counts free. So get the copy by going to stessa.com forward slash best taxes. That's S-T-E-S-S-A dot com forward slash best taxes. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com. Okay, best ever book you've recently read? It's a tough one. I'm an avid reader, but I would say Behind the Golden Arches. Mm. It's McDonald's. What's the best ever transaction you've done? There's been so many of them. I could go on because this is recently in my head. There was an owner of a retail chain of auto parts stores in the Delaware area. Husband and wife team worked probably 30 hours a day, not 24, 30. They built this business up. And again, the bank put them in default. They were literally weeks away from losing their business, their house. They were a mess. We came through, we saw the deal, we closed the deal. They were so emotional. I remember after closing her thanking us so much, I broke down in tears on the phone. And I have that story, I don't want to say every day, but there's every day another story where we're helping people that the banks are abandoning people. So there's thousands of those stories out there, and I love them all. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Being too optimistic letting someone's passion sell me. We get calls and almost all investors only see the good. They don't see the bad. They don't see the potholes along the way. So you have to separate yourself from that and be prepared for the worst. Hope for the best, but be prepared for the worst. What's something that you've done to safeguard against that in your process? Well, first of all, we have systems, policies, and procedures, so we really try not to make exceptions to the rules because the rules are there to protect us. But I try not to become emotionally involved in the opportunity because when you do, at least I sometimes let down my guard. And when I have my guard, it's actually not only for my benefit, it's for the potential borrower or client's benefit. I like to think the best reason that people come to us, look, it's money, it's a commodity. My money's the same as everyone else's is because our depth of experience of not only me, but of the staff. So we are constantly helping our borrowers from being ripped off by contractors and realtors and everyone else out there. And I think that's a huge value add that we bring that most people just don't have that experience. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on? Go to Gelt Financial, G-E-L-T-F-I-N-A-N-C-I-A-L.com. 
And that's a great way. Thank you so much, Jack, for sharing the insights that you have from multiple decades in the industry and how you reinvented your company after a couple cycles that we discussed on the show, as well as challenges that borrowers might come across. A lot of them can be unique challenges, but if there's a lot of different unique challenges, then odds are then one of those unique challenges might come up again and not become as unique because there's seems like there's a lot of scenarios that you talked about with technical defaults, especially given the troubled debt relief acts, as you recalled earlier. So, you know, the international owners who couldn't refi having a separate property going through bankruptcy and then that being a domino effect for someone's other properties being a technical default through a debt service coverage ratio so they won't renew the loan. All these things are things that we should keep in mind as real estate investors should we be coming up on a refinance so that we make sure that we are proactively addressing it versus being put in the corner. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Joe, thank you very much for educating America on real estate. You're the man. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting-edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com.